good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning at South City Church. Um, this is crazy, isn't it? I'm, I'm looking at an empty room, but I'm, I'm trusting that, that out there somewhere there's a bunch of South City folks that are sitting in PJs and around breakfast tables and, and maybe in their car or wherever, someplace with your, with your iPhone or whatever the case may be that you're tuned in with us and that you are engaging with us. You know, the body of Christ uh, is called to meet together. That's what ecclesia means. It's the gathered ones who believe. And so uh, we're gathering, though not together physically, we're gathering together technologically and, and online. And I hope that you are with us today. Thanks for joining us wherever you are and engaging with us in this crazy, crazy season. It's, it's, it's insane, isn't it? I mean, this is such a weird moment. It's weird for us because the, the, the building is empty and I'm missing you guys like crazy. Um, this is the second week we've been online, and, and uh, that's too, too many in my opinion. But it's just a crazy, unprecedented, confusing uh, season, and honestly, concerning. And I don't know if you've been like me at all, you've been struggling with um, some fear. I'll just be honest with you. I, this week, in many ways, has sort of, um, it's just been a difficult week for me. It seems like everything I've done has taken twice the energy, and uh, in some ways, I felt just sort of paralyzed in ways. I couldn't get things done. I couldn't move ahead. I didn't know what to do. And uh, I felt that in many, many ways. Um, and the thing I kind of came to is that, you know, what? I've got I've to move forward. And so if you've been sort of in that place of fear and struggle, I just want to encourage you this morning. You're not alone. Um, we are not alone. God is with us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's gone before us. And he is with you this morning, even right where you sit. He's with me in a room with just a few people instead of a larger crowd. And so he is with us. You know, this morning I was driving in. I was praying for you. I was praying for our service. I was praying for um, uh, all that is happening right now in our world. And uh, I just kind of felt like the Lord spoke something to me. And it was a blessing to me. I told our team this morning, the Lord just spoke to me that um, he is the only one worthy of our fear. He's the only one. So let's not give fear to anything else. He's in control of everything. What a beautiful opportunity we have. Those of us that say we know Jesus and believe in Jesus, what an incredible opportunity for us to now stand and live like it. Right Now when the rubber meets the road for our kids, for our families, that they see in us a people of faith, a people trusting a sovereign God who's in control of all things, even the things that we don't understand or, or maybe have some fear in. Now's a beautiful opportunity for us to stand up and be seen as the people of faith. You know, we've been in this series for seven weeks called Neighbor. Uh, we've talked about what does it mean to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, strength. Uh, not just that, but if we do that in an all-encompassing way, what does that mean for our lives? How does it change how we live? Uh, Jesus said the second is like it. In other words, it's just as important as the first. And that is to not just love God with all that we are, but to love people, all people. And so for the last several weeks, we've talked about who are these neighbors? They're different relationships we find ourselves in. We, we, from our home to our next door neighbor to our city uh, to people that we're, that we're very different from. I'm so thankful for my, my dear friend Roger Doyne last week preached a fabulous message to us about loving people from other people groups and other races and other cultures. And he, he used the text out of uh, Luke 10, which was a beautiful story about really what God's called us to do as a neighbor. Uh, and he used it sort of from the angle and, and aspect of, um, 
the fact that the, the Samaritan obviously is a different race than the Jew. Uh, back in that day, the Jews and the Samaritans were, were not together. <laughs> they were um, against each other in many, many ways. They were enemies, if you will. And so Jesus kind of blew people's minds when he shares this parable of the Good Samaritan and says it wasn't the Jew who was doing the things of God. It wasn't the Jew who had love in his heart. It was the Samaritan that blew their minds. And so I loved how Roger taught us last week about the fact that uh, race and culture don't really, it doesn't really matter when it comes to loving our neighbor. We just, we just only love, right? And so this morning I want to kind of uh, also tag team on some of that text uh, with you. Um, there's another element of the story. It's an incredible story. And uh, the, the, obviously the angle that Roger came from last week was um, one about race, one in the situ- situation that Samaritans and Jews didn't typically connect. And, uh, and yet here's a mind-blowing idea that Jesus is saying the Samaritan is the one who's loving. That would have blown the minds of these Jews. But there's another aspect of this parable that we can learn greatly from uh, this morning. And so I'm going to also teach on part of this text in Luke 10, and that is the fact that we need to love those in need. We need to love people in need. Um, the title of the message is to love the poor. Now, uh, as soon as I say love the poor, your minds in many ways goes to financial issues. You go to how much money do they have? Do they not have any? Are they completely destitute financially? But can I just say uh, it's not just a financial issue. People who don't have money in many ways often also don't have food or or basic needs or companionship or shelter or health care. And there's many things that they may not have. Um, So I think a better definition for us than just poor, maybe this morning might be uh, those in need. Literally the definition is to be deficient or lacking of something. And so we need to love the poor, but even more than that, we need to love people who are in need, people who are lacking uh, different things. So the uh, thing that's interesting about this conversation today is that you can actually have money and still be poor. In fact, I want to just challenge you to think about the uh, Good Samaritan and the story of the man who has been beaten. The story tells us in Luke 10 that uh, there's a man that comes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's beaten, and he's robbed, and he's stripped, but we don't know what his lifestyle is like. The man who is the victim very well could be a wealthy man. It could be that just in this moment he's poor. It could be that just in his need he has a, a great um, lack of, of, of needs for his health or for uh, his healing or for whatever the case may be. But it could be that he comes from means. So even still he has a need that the great Samaritan meets and uh, There's different people that you maybe run into. There may be an elderly person on your street who owns a home and yet is lacking basic needs, especially in this season of the COVID-19 virus. They may have some groceries. They're afraid to go to the grocery store. So they may have needs and yet be poor and yet be deficient in something that you could possibly help in. What about homeless people? Many homeless people around our city, around our church, we see them every week. Uh, People in great need. Many of them have college degrees. Many of them come from wealthy families, and yet because of some mental or chemical issue in their life or some event that took place, um, they're in ways either choosing to live this lifestyle or or in a system they can't seem to get out of. Regardless of the case, uh, we need to have compassion and love these people who are poor, who have a need. I want to talk to you this morning about two stories that Jesus told his disciples Jesus is an incredible, 
storyteller, unbelievable storyteller. The first story that, that we're going to look at is the one I'm going to borrow from, from Roger's message last week in Luke 10. It's a parable. And another story that Jesus is going to tell a few chapters over in Matthew 25, um, from the great commandment anyway, a few chapters over in Matthew 25, is a promise. So the first one's a parable, the second one's a promise. So look with me if you would. I'm not going to go over the whole story in uh, Luke 10 because we looked at it last week, but I mainly want to focus on how did the Good Samaritan care for the needs of the man who was stripped and robbed and, and, and in such poor condition. So look with me if you will in Luke chapter 10. Verse 33, uh, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, speaking of the man who had been robbed, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in, uh, on oil and wine, and then he sat him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus is asking the lawyer who had originally asked the question of who his neighbor was. And the man says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go, you go and do likewise. That's the first story I want us to focus on this morning. But let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our conversation if we can. Father, you're so very good. We love you so much. Lord, what a privilege it is to be with your people, to open your word, to hear literally from your mouth, Lord Jesus, what it means to love people and how seriously you take it, therefore how seriously we should take it, God. Would you change our hearts and help us to see you in those who are poor, those who have need, to see your face in theirs and to love them the way we not only love ourselves, but the way you've loved us sacrificially. Father God, open your word to us by your spirit. Lead us to all truth. Lord Jesus, I pray with all my heart that you'd help me decrease, Lord, and in this moment that you would increase, and that you would help us to know more of you from your word in these stories. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So a couple of things I want us to see from this story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, this guy is um, a Samaritan. The man who's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho is Jewish, presumably. You might remember that in the early part of the story in Luke 10, that there's a couple other guys that, that come on this guy first. They come upon him, and he is in great need. And those two men are religious, Jewish religious leaders. You remember what they did? They, they came upon his uh, situation, him being broken and robbed and, and, and stripped almost naked probably, wounded, bleeding. What do they do for this Jewish brother who is uh, of their religion, of their race? They, they ignore him and they literally walk across the, the street. <laughs> they walk across the street. They don't even want to be on the same side of the street as this man. They turn their nose up to him, and they walk to the other side of the street. That's not what the Good Samaritan did. The Good Samaritan sees this man. It says he saw him, but he didn't turn away. I want you to notice something. The first two men, they saw him too. There's a difference, though. They saw him, and they turned away. They turned their eyes away, and they, they walked to the other side of the street. That is not what God's called us to do. In fact, I would even say in their hearts, they did not know God. Because the Bible says, if we know God, we'll live like we know God. We'll love people like we know God. And they didn't. They ignored him. But what did the Samaritan do? He sees him, 
But not only does he see him with his eyes, he has compassion in his heart. He loved him. He had a concern for this man's condition. He had a concern for this man's physical need. Uh, that compassion in his soul turned from just a, a compassion and a, a desire to, to feel bad for him to literally to an action. He sees him. He doesn't turn away. He continues to look at him. He sees him and he feels compassion in his soul for this uh, other human being. Though they may be enemies, though they're a different race, a religion potentially, he sees this man and he has compassion. So his compassion turns him to action, moves him to action. What are the things specifically that he does? Look, first thing he says is he binds up his wounds. Now I want you to know that this man is, is stripped almost naked. He, he doesn't have any clothes. So the good Samaritan literally would have had to take his own clothes and rip his own clothes, sacrificing his own wardrobe, his own cloth to bind up this man's wounds. So he's already starting in such a way that he's being sacrificial to love this man, to bind his wounds. And then the text says he pours oil and wine on those wounds. And in the original language, it literally says he does it lavishly. That's the way it describes it. He's pouring lavishly on this man's wounds. People would travel in that day and time with oil and wine for cooking and for medicinal purposes. And this man poured lavishly on this man's wounds to help heal him. Then we see him give deference to this man. He, he, he humbles himself before this man, places the sick man, the, the wounded man, on his animal, on his horse or on his donkey or whatever the case may be, which means he's placing this other man literally above himself. He's now going to walk and let this man ride. He's now literally going to humble himself. He's going to take second place. He's going to be lowered in value and position where the man who's sick and hurt is going to be lifted in value. He gives him deference. And then we see him take him to an inn. So he takes him to an inn, and at the inn, he stays with him caring for his needs. So what's interesting is the text tells us that he stays with him because it says the next morning he paid for the man to stay. Now, we don't really know necessarily what it would have cost to stay one night in, a, uh, in an inn in this time of Jesus' life. Uh, in the first century. What, what does it cost to stay at an inn, right? However, recently in the last several years in an archaeological dig, they found a, a placard that literally had the price of an inn for one night. And it was one thirty-second of a denarius. One thirty-second of a denarius, which means this man literally paid for the sick man, the Samaritan paid for the sick man to stay in this inn for up to two months. Up to two months. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, the, he's going above and beyond. On top of that, he says if he stays longer than these two months, whatever it takes to help him heal, whatever it takes, additional cost that you have to help this wounded person, I promise to come back and pay. Listen, that is a big, big deal. Because have you ever felt when you wanted to give somebody who had, who had a need, what if I get taken advantage of? Have you ever felt that? I, I feel that all the time. Every time you hand a dollar or five dollars to somebody in need, you, you begin to think, is this going to go to alcohol? Is this going to go to drugs? You even feel that way sometimes about different organizations who help the poor. Is this really going to help? Is this really going to go to people in need and, and serve them in some way? Can I just tell you, the Samaritan had a, a, a great opportunity to be taken advantage of by this innkeeper right here. Do you see that? Not only has he paid for two months of stay, but he's also said, I'll pay whatever it takes. There was a great opportunity for him to be taken advantage of, and yet he still 
paid it. He still promised to pay it. And so Jesus says to the attorney, to the lawyer, hey, which one is the neighbor? Which one is acting like a neighbor? And uh, he says, the man who showed mercy, the Samaritan, that's the one. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. Two things from this story I really want us to take away. Number one, we have to not only see people, we see people all the time. Don't just see people, see them as created in the image of God. Every human being on the earth has been created in the image of God. There's a dignity to their life just because they're alive. There's breath in their lungs. There's a heartbeat in their chest. There's dignity in their life. And so we honor that dignity and we, we have compassion because they're human beings. God created them and we know that God loves the whole world, right? He loves them. And so we have this on our hearts to not just see people, but to have compassion for them. Uh, the next thing we see that the Good Samaritan does is he doesn't just see and he doesn't just feel. He's moved to action. The Bible says he shows mercy. Can I just tell you, church, listen, we're going to need to act. Not just see, not just feel, but act. We're going to need to stop. We're going to need to be inconvenienced. This good Samaritan might have had plans. It changed his plans for like two days. Uh, his plans had to change. He was inconvenienced. We're going to have to spend our money. We're going to have to take second place. We're going to have to be sacrificial. We're going to have to show deference, humble ourselves, placing people above us. It's, it's, it's going to be a difficult thing to do. We're going to have to care for those in need in the same way that we would want to care for ourselves. In the exact same way, that's the whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. You see them as yourself, and you want to care for them the way you would care for yourself. There's been a book that's been really instrumental in our series called The Neighboring Church. It says, Jesus came to move us out of a place of religious complexity to a place of relational simplicity. Out of religious complexity. And trust me, in the church, we got a whole lot of religious complexity and not enough relational simplicity. Can I just pause for a minute and just tell you, listen, friend, I, I don't care how smart you are theologically. I don't care how much, you, how much you know, how many degrees you have. If your theology keeps you from serving people in need, it's the wrong one. That's the bottom line. If your theology is so lofty that you can't get your hands dirty in the lives of people in need, it is a wrong religion. It is a wrong theology, and you're not following the heart of God. His heart, his desire, his life for us. James even says in James 1.27, real religion, true religion is caring for the orphan. It's caring for the widow. It's caring for those in greatest need. Don't let our theology and our, and our degrees and all of our theological brilliance keep us from acting and loving people where they are. We have to lead with compassion. I don't know about you, but, but every time I see somebody, sometimes I think it's not just compassion I'm feeling. Sometimes I also feel a need for self-preservation. Do you feel that? And I begin to ask the question, well, what's going to happen to me if I do something? If I enter this place and try to preach the word or if I uh, speak this to this person, if I, whatever I do, what's going to happen to me? And we, we get in this place of self-preservation instead of compassion for people. Listen, I think we have to be wise. I do. I think we have to have wisdom. We have to have prudence as we serve. Uh, but the overarching feeling and, and desire of our heart 
has to be compassion with action of showing mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. And that would be the wisest thing for us to do, to be obedient to Jesus in this parable. Now, the first story was a parable, right? The second story of Jesus that I want to share with us this morning from Matthew 25 is not a parable. It's a promise. Look with me, Matthew 25, verse 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates uh, the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison? And visit you, and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now, I said the first story was a parable. Parables are awesome. Jesus used a ton of parables to teach. A parable is sort of like a metaphor, it it helps us understand what he's trying to teach us, but it's not necessarily an event that actually happened. It's used sort of in a metaphorical way. This story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 is not a a metaphor. It is not a parable. It is a promise to come. Jesus is saying prophetically in this moment, this will take place. It will take place just as I'm telling you right now. And so it's very serious that we we pay attention. What is it that that Jesus wants to speak to us in this uh, future event that's going to take place? Um, We've been in this series talking about our neighbor. What does it mean to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? What's interesting is in this story in Matthew 25, this is sort of like the implications of doing those two things. Like if we love God with all we are, then it will move us to live like we love God and love other people. And this is sort of towards the end of the story in a sense that, well, now that we've done that, we've lived out that life of loving God and loving people, then we get to see how God responds to that. And Jesus speaks to that situation and it is very, very serious. So pay attention with me, if you will, just for a few minutes here. Jesus begins this story in in Matthew 25 and he says that he's going to, in his return, he's going to come in his glory. Now, you might remember in Philippians, Jesus made a comment about the fact that he had to empty himself of his glory. He comes in human form, emptying himself of his glory so that he can be our sacrifice on a cross and praise God that he was willing to humble himself in such a way, even death on a cross. But can I just tell you, when he comes again, he won't be emptied of glory. He'll be full of glory. He'll have all of his glory. And I love the fact that the Bible says that every one of the angels will be with Jesus. Jesus says, all the angels will be with me, all of them. Can you imagine, I heard a, a, theological, a theological teacher recently this week say something about, uh, he estimated 100 million angels with Jesus. My mind can't comprehend what that would look like. It, it would only take one angel in Scripture to make people feel like they were dying or, or drop over dead. Can you imagine 100 million terrifying and wonderfully beautiful angels with Jesus? We can't even comprehend this scene 
in our own hearts and minds. But the Bible tells us that Jesus uses sort of a metaphor here in this moment to speak about people who know him as their Savior and people who don't. He calls people who who know uh, him to be their Savior. He calls them sheep. And he calls people who have rejected Christ or denied Christ, he calls them goats. You see, in the first century, uh, sheep were more valuable than goats. Their wool had more value than, than a goat's meat. And so Jesus shows that there's more value that's that's been given uh, to these sheep. But he also says, the sheep will be on my right hand, and the goats will be on my left hand. In other words, the right hand is a place of honor. So he says, if you know me, if you've trusted me, if your salvation is, is in me, and that's the only place salvation comes from, he says, then come to my right side, my right hand, where it's a place of honor. But if you denied me, if you haven't trusted me, if you've rejected me, come to the left side. But then he says something interesting. For those of us who've trusted Jesus, I want you to feel this, church. I want you to feel the joy and the excitement of what our Savior says to us. He says, come, come on. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Now, if you've been a part of South City very long, you've heard that phrase, before the foundation of the world. We've preached on that a few times. But we've usually preached on the passage out of Revelation where John says that the the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. What I love about this is, friends, there's just one gospel. There's just one story. There's just one storyteller. There's just one author. So when the Trinity decided before the foundations of the world that they were going to redeem mankind, which they had yet to create, in a world which they had yet to form— They not only planned for that Redeemer to be Jesus, but they planned a place for the redeemed. Isn't that good? One story, one Savior, one storyteller, one author, Jesus the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world, and and he creates heaven, a place for those who are redeemed. So then he says, come, uh, get the inheritance that you've been promised, the blessing of my Father. But then what's interesting, and really kind of the place I want us to park today as we talk about loving the poor, I want us to see that Jesus also gives sort of a qualifying piece to his message. It's very interesting. I'm glad we have other texts to look at besides just this one. But Jesus says in verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me some food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous, will they're confused. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Now I want to, I want to stop and I want to explain something real quick. Jesus is not, hear me clearly, what Jesus is not saying is that if we just do some of these works, we go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, There's many in our culture that social justice is the end all to all service and love. Social justice is important. It's, It's important that we care for those who have needs, but it is not the end all. We have to serve as though we're serving Jesus. And so Jesus is not saying if you just do some works, you'll be saved. In fact, the whole Bible tells us otherwise, right? It it tells us that uh, our salvation is not in our works, it's in our faith. Uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would what? Believe. It's a matter of belief. As we believe in him, 
we're saved. We have salvation in him, not because of works. In fact, look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 here. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's, it's not a result of your works. So no one can boast. Nobody can say, I did all that, so I get salvation. No, we trust Jesus. It's his gift of grace to us through faith. We spent a whole uh, couple of months going through the, um, the book of Galatians. Galatians speaks to the fact that it's, it's not something that we do. It is something we believe, and as we believe and have faith, Jesus gives us life in salvation. So what Jesus is saying, I told you what he's not saying. What Jesus is saying in this moment is that life in Christ, those of us who believe him to be our Savior, that his sacrifice is enough for our, our salvation. What he is saying is that a life lived serving and loving people in need should be uh, synonymous. It ought to be the same thing. Anybody who knows Christ ought to live a life of serving people. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if we know him, then we're going to serve. If we love him, then we're going to care for people. If we are his, if we are redeemed, if we've been changed, then our lives will speak of that, not just our lips. We, we spent a series last, about this time last year going through the book of James. James was very adamant about this issue. He said, faith without works is dead. What James is saying is, listen, if you say you have a faith in Christ, but you don't do anything, then your faith is basically dead. You, you, do you really even have a faith? If we have a faith in Christ that is real and life-changing, then it's going to change our lives. It's going to help us to want to serve. It's going to help us to have compassion, not just see, not just feel, but move us to show mercy. That's what uh, this does. It ought to be a simultaneous thing, a synonymous thing. People who know Christ ought to serve people like they know Christ. Jesus here speaks about three basic needs of, of every human being. He says this man has uh, needs of food and shelter. He says, when you gave to me, food, shelter, and companionship, the three basic needs of every human being. But what's interesting, then he equates himself with the least of these. Can you just, just, just try to go there with me if you can? It's not easy to. Just imagine if you've ever given a dollar to the dirtiest uh, homeless person you can ever think of, that was Jesus. If you've ever helped someone with a meal who was hungry, Jesus. If you've ever visited someone in prison or, or cared for someone in a hospital or whatever the case may be, that was Jesus. Jesus equates himself with these people who are poor, these people who are in need. Can you imagine if we really believe this? Really. I mean, if we really saw people on the side of the road, if we really saw people in hospitals, if we really saw people in prison as Jesus, would it change how we care for them? Would it change how we see them? Would it change how we judge them and, and have narratives created in our minds about how they got there or why they're still there? Absolutely it would. We would go to him and say, Lord, what can I do? What can I bring you? What can I give you? What can I go pick up for you? How can I mend this need in your life? Lord, I'll do anything. That's how we would treat Jesus. And yet he's saying, do it. Live that way. Treat people like it's me. Listen, if we believed that, if we lived that, if we acted upon that, it would change our community. It would change our world. It would change our church. Everything about it would be life 
altering. Jonathan Edwards says, there's nothing more clear or strong in the Bible than our care or duty as a church to the poor. Edwards says, there's nothing more clear in the Bible than than what we need to be doing as a church. We care for the poor. It is a mark of the poor. Over 200 scriptures in the Old Testament about caring for the poor, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. Over 200. The New Testament full of scriptures about doing these things. This message this morning, we didn't plan this message because of the coronavirus. This wasn't, we, we didn't say, hey, let's do a message because we're in this moment. This is the message that was scheduled for today. And it was timely because there are a lot of people who are sick. There are a lot of people who have needs that we can see them as Jesus and we can serve them wherever they are, whatever their need is. We, we, we can take this seriously. In fact, I would just encourage you, friends, the first place you ought to start is your family. Make sure your immediate family is okay. Check with your extended family, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncle, uncles, Check with everybody you can. Check with people on your street. Are there elderly people on your street that might need some groceries from the grocery store? We have an email to our POA or whatever. We send out, is everybody okay? Is there anybody in need? Can we do errands for you? You know, we're checking in. Besides them, check with your city group. Is everybody doing okay? Can we serve one another? By the way, can I just say, this is not a time for the church to be dismissed from each other. This is a time for us to gather together, and we're going to do that uh, through Zoom. So this week, you're going to uh, hear from your city group leader, and they're going to say, hey, we're going to meet at our regular time, or this is the time we're going to meet. And if you have the opportunity to be on Wi-Fi, check, check on there. You'll, you'll get an email. You'll be able to join immediately, and you'll be able to be with your group uh, for this conversation, for prayer, checking in, finding out how everyone is doing. Please do that. Hebrews 10 says, don't take it for granted. Hebrews 10 says, as the day is approaching, and I don't know about you, but it feels with all this craziness that the day is approaching. <laughs> so as the day is approaching, let's love and spur one another on to good, good deeds, uh, helping one another to love the Lord more. It's a beautiful opportunity for that. Hey, we have a food pantry as far as I know, it's going to take place not tomorrow, but the next Monday. It'll probably be another drive up, and we're going to be serving people who have a need for food. And you're welcome to come serve with us uh, at that. Uh, as you could probably imagine, offerings at churches uh, are going down. <laughs> when you're not having services, people are not as mindful to give their regular off- tithes and offering. But what's interesting is, as offerings are going down, benevolence is going up. So there's more need in the community. There's more need of people. And that's one of the things we're called to do is to love and serve. So can I just tell you, if you're a partner of South City Church, please don't forget your giving to the church because God is still doing work here. We're still doing ministry here. In fact, our benevolence need is going up. So if you can give above and beyond your benevolent, your regular tithes and offerings, do that so that we can have some funds to help those in need. That's one of the things that God has called us to do. Uh, my wife and I love to support kids. I, I'm I love kids. Anytime I I get to go internationally, I take a camera and I love to shoot pictures of of these beautiful children in their cultural environment. Uh, It's just a wonderful thing. And one of the things we love to do in ways that we can help is we we support three children. We've supported three children in their basic health care needs for over 15 years. We have a child with Holt International. We have a child with World Vision. We have a child with Compassion. Uh, And our little bit of money that we give, it's different with each organization how much. It can be as little as $10 
10 or 20 and, and as much as 30 or 40 a month. But that, that money supplies their basic needs for life. Their food, their shelter, their companionship, and it also gives them Jesus. Those organizations tell them about their greatest need, which is to know Christ. There's so many ways that you can invest and love people who are in need. But I wouldn't be completely honest with you if I stopped here. You see, the first story was a parable. The second story is a promise. And, and for those of us that know Christ as our Savior, when we hear the words from Jesus and he says, come, man, I hope that encourages your soul to think about heaven, to think about our inheritance, to think about the kingdom of God. But can I just tell you with tears today, this is not the only promise that Jesus speaks of. Jesus speaks of another promise to people who don't know Christ. He speaks in the second half of this story to people who have rejected Jesus. And we have to be faithful to preach both parts of the story. Matthew 25, 41 says this. Jesus says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Uh, naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Frank, can I just tell you this morning, this is a serious, serious message of Jesus. Do you want to know if, if caring for people is important to the Savior? Take a look at what he's talking about here. He's talking about our relationship with him in eternity. And he's saying, listen, if you've lived a life that's consistent with the fact that you love Jesus and that you are saved and know him, then come to where you've been, what you've been prepared for. But if you have denied Christ with your life, and in that denial you've lived like you don't care about people, you, you, you don't give to the needy, you don't serve those in need. In fact, you're just like those Jewish leaders who turn your nose up at the brother who's hurting, and you go across the street. Friends, this is a warning from Jesus himself to say, stop, stop, because the people who live this way in rejection, the people who live this way in rejection will go to hell. I want you to notice something very interesting to me. In this text, Jesus says in that first part of Matthew 25, he says uh, that before the foundations of the world, heaven was prepared for the saved, for the redeemed. But isn't it interesting that in this portion of the story, listen to what he says. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Friends, hell was not prepared for you. That is not God's heart for you to go to hell. He, he created heaven for people. He created hell for the devil and his angels. But I promise you, he won't make you go anywhere. If you continue to reject, if you continue to deny the truth of who Jesus is, there is a place that you will go. It wasn't prepared for you, but God will allow you to go there if you choose. Friends, I want you to see the, the fact that the angels didn't have a second choice. They were cast out of heaven in their disobedience. But you today, through the technology of this camera and Facebook and the internet, 
Today, you have a choice to not have to be departed from Jesus. The worst thing about hell is separation from God. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be separated. You can come, trust me, know me, live your life in me. Friends, today you have a second chance. You have an opportunity to trust him, to know him, and to live for him with all of your life. And he says, come. He says, come. Jesus in this promise and in this story, he's showing us the end result of what it looks like to love God with all of our hearts and to love people. This is the end result of that, right? Because now that we've done that, now that we've lived that way, now that this is indicative of our lives, he says, come. In other words, if you truly know me, if you truly love me, then you'll love people. It will be in our hearts to have compassion. It will be in our lives, lived out in our lives to show mercy and care for the least of these. Friends, you cannot, let me just put it this way. If you ignore a need of something that you can meet, you are ignoring Jesus. If we ignore the need of a person, of something we can help with, and we're ignoring Christ himself. Can I just ask you this morning as we close, what, what lifestyle is yours? When I talk about these two different things, which, which reflects your life? Is your life true to uh, loving and serving and caring for those in need? It's just part of your heart. You just want to live compassionately. Or are you kind of like the two religious leaders that turned their nose up and went to the other side of the street and said, I don't care? Friends, it's a matter of eternity. And my heart and my prayer is that you would take it seriously enough to focus on God's grace and his goodness to call you to salvation. This book, The Neighboring Church, has been an important study for me in this series. It says in the book, neighboring love calls for intentionality with time and resources to ensure that those who have are participating with Jesus in his mission of mercy and justice to those who have not. In other words, full hands must become emptier in order for empty hands to be filled. God, is my, it is my prayer, friends, that the Lord change the way we see people, that he would help us uh, change maybe how we live, and it might inconvenience us, and it's going to cause us to be sacrificial and humble but that he changes what we might have so that we might be able to be a blessing to people who have nothing. I don't know if you've noticed in this series we've been walking through called Neighbor, it's pretty hard actually to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. That's hard. That's a hard thing to do. And when you look at this story of the Good Samaritan, you go, man, that guy really loved his neighbor as himself. That's a hard thing to do as well. And it's the reason why many of us don't do it. Can I just say, I'm so thankful that Jesus came to fulfill the law for me because you know what? I can't love God. I can't love him with all that I am. I can't love my neighbor with all that I am. It is an act of grace. When Jesus saves us by his grace, even while we're still sinners, he saves us and he starts us at that point understanding what it means to love him with all that we are. He starts from that point helping us understand what it means to love people as we love ourselves. That even this great command is a commandment given 
in the grace of God. Isn't that good to know? Friends, can I just tell you this morning, if you're watching, maybe you don't come to South City Church, maybe you've never heard of us before and you just stumbled on this feed, or maybe you do go to South City and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, would you just stop right now in the privacy of your home, in the privacy of this device that you're watching, in the privacy of this moment, and would you just, would you just trust God with all that you are? Would you say, Lord, I, I want to believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. Change my heart. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Give me life in Christ and help it to change my life. Help me to never be the same again. Would you just pray that prayer right, right where you are? Because I believe that even through a camera, the truth of God's word can speak to you wherever you are, no matter what state or country or street or home. God could be speaking to your soul right now. If you feel conviction on your heart about who you're not in him, pray that God would give you his grace and change your life. And listen, if you pray that prayer today, would you just send us a message? Let us know so we can celebrate with you. We would love to send you some scriptures and some ideas about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Let us know if you do that. Just uh, direct message our, our church Facebook page, uh, or if you can find email addresses on our website, southcity.org. We would love to celebrate what God has done in you. And for you, who is a believer, and we, re we rejoice today that Jesus says, come. We're blessed. We get to receive this inheritance. Maybe there's something we can do a little bit more. Maybe we're in this process of sanctification that Jesus is moving us to know him more, to love him more, to be his, to serve people the way we would want somebody to serve us. I want to just encourage you this morning just, just to process all this. Reread the story of the Good Samaritan. Reread Matthew 25 and Jesus' story and promise. And think about your life. What kind of lifestyle are you living? What's important to you? Because if we know Christ as our Savior, we need to be a people loving, in action, in compassion, showing mercy. Friends, we want to we wanna thank you for joining us by the broadcast today. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute, and I'm going to close this message. If, if there's some way that we can serve you and you want a direct message to the church or email me or something, please do that. Uh, Decline, C-L-I-N-E, at southcity.org. be happy to answer any email and, and minister to you any way that you need but we just want you to take a moment to process this text and what it means to love people like Jesus. A few years ago, I, uh, I wrote a song based on this text in Matthew 25 called Unto Me. And I just, uh, I was, there's a time I was traveling around the world in different places and seeing so many people in need. And, and like I said, when I'm around different places, I like to take pictures and I like to capture stories that I may not know about. And so I put some of those pictures together with some pictures of, friends, of some friends of mine with that song. And today we're going to close our service by playing you these, this video, this, these pictures and this song. Would you just, just tell everybody in the house just to be quiet for a few minutes and just process what this scripture says and what this song says for us as believers. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to play this video. And then after the video, our service will be over.
but we appreciate you joining us today, and we're praying for you. Don't give fear to anything but the one who is deserving of it, and that is God and God alone. Pray with me. Father God, we love you so much. God, we just acknowledge that this is a strange moment for the church. This is a strange moment for our country. We don't know what to do with ourselves having uh, to be cooped up in our homes and having to be extra cautious of this virus. But Lord, I just pray for mercy for those who have, who have contracted this virus, the people who are struggling, people who are in hospitals, people who don't know if they have it or not. Lord, would you please give your mercy to them and meet them where they are and heal their bodies. Lord, I pray uh, for those of us that are uh, quarantined to just follow those rules and to stay out of the public uh, view and out of the public uh, marketplace so that we can uh, lower the curve and we can keep uh, our hospitals open to the people who really, really need it. Lord, I'm so thankful for people who are willing to love their neighbor in the middle of a crisis like this. I know that we have people in our church, one young man who works in the ER, and he's chosen to not use a face mask so that he can reserve those face masks for people who are elderly. And he's serving right in, in ground zero of this virus uh, without protections in a way, Lord. Would you protect his body? Would you protect his life and keep him safe, Lord, as he serves as Jesus to people in need? God, I think about another man in our church who fills shelves of a grocery store every single night, and he's worked for days and days and days on end so that he can serve us when we go to the grocery that there's actually food there. Lord, help us to continue to love our neighbors as we would love ourselves to prove, God, that as we love you, as we know you, that this is a just a regular part of who we are in you. And Lord, if anyone that's listening to this message has been challenged about their relationship with you, God, may they seriously, in this moment, repent of their sins, fall on their knees, God, and find salvation in life in the only place that it can be found in you, Jesus. No name other than the name of Jesus can lead a person to salvation. Lord, may they call out in that name. And may we see people in the faces of children, in the faces of the homeless, in the faces of the sick and imprisoned, and those who are poor and needy. May we see your face, Jesus, that it might change how we serve, change how we love, change how we give, as you're changing us to be more like you. We love you, Lord. We give you this message this day in South City Church. Would you protect us and watch over us as we continue to be the church where we live? In your precious name, amen.